This is the waves. 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 Welcome to the waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and really just never being able to stop talking about the 90s. Every episode, you get a new pair of women to talk about the thing we can't get off our minds. And today you've got me, Shayna Roth, podcast producer at Slate, including for The Waves. And you've got me, Alicia Montgomery, executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Now, when I found out that Ryan Murphy, he of the gaudy, campy, salacious American horror story, but also the poignant People versus O.J. Simpson, was going to make a series on the Clinton impeachment, I think my first thought was, ooh, that's juicy. (laughs) Because for better or worse, the story of a White House intern turned presidential mistress turned media pariah is probably one that our nation has never been able to let go. I know I've really never been able to let this go. This is something that it will come up either because a book came out or a podcast or something, and I will just have to hear the same story over and over again. And it's one of those things where if you love gossip and listening in on other people's drama, this is a story that you always just want more of. So I guess it makes sense that we're getting yet another retelling of the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal, though personally, I think that Slate's own season two of Slow Burn really said all that needed to be said on the story. But while American Crime Story Impeachment claims to be a sort of feminist retelling of the story, a way to sort of take back the Monica Lewinsky narrative, I mean, she did, after all, get input in, I think, pretty much every scene. I was left feeling underwhelmed and left with a lot more questions than answers about what the show was trying to say and what it was trying to add to this tale that has been uttered a zillion times. Alicia, why did you want to talk about this? I wanted to talk about it because for me and for a lot of women in Washington and women journalists, this was both personal and business. I was at the very start of my career when this story hit, and Monica Lewinsky's name went into the headlines, and then she became kind of a joke. And I laughed at some of those jokes without really thinking about the misogyny that was at their foundation. And I did this even though Monica Lewinsky's just a couple of years younger than I am, And even though she was just one or two degrees separation from me, I mean, Washington is that small of a town. And I didn't buy all of the garbage that was said about her in the media, including, you know, frankly, a lot of folks who I knew, but I bought too much of it. And I hope that I'm a better feminist now, but I think that feminism really failed Monica Lewinsky. And... So did individual feminists, including me. This is one of those stories where I feel like I keep getting drawn into it because every time I revisit it, I learn something new about not only the story, but in some cases myself and sort of where I stand as a feminist, particularly during this iteration of it. So coming up, we're going to explore both of our feminist failings in a way and dig into American Crime Story Impeachment, the show, and how the women of the show are depicted and more right here on The Waves.
Thank you so much for listening. I wanted to take a second and welcome all of our new listeners and our old ones too. We love you all equally. If you're enjoying the show and want to hear more, please subscribe to our feed. New episodes come out every Thursday morning. And while you're there, check out our other episodes too. Like last week's where Slate's Christina Cotarucci interviewed author Amiya Siranavasana about whether getting rid of capitalism will lead to more consensual sex. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is not Ryan Murphy's first effort at retelling massive events, particularly of the 1990s. In 2016, he took on the O.J. Simpson trial, but now his American Crime Story anthology is taking on the Clinton impeachment. And I have to say, the first maybe five episodes are so very light on the crime part. I kept waiting for the crime part of American Crime Story to to happen instead of so many phone calls back and forth between Monica Lewinsky and Linda Tripp. But anyway, Alicia, you came to the impeachment show having been someone that was actually covering the scandal as it unfolded. So catch our listeners up. What does the show cover and where were you at the time that all of this was actually happening in the 1990s? Well, first, it's very generous to say that I was covering it. <laughs> I was an editorial assistant at uh, National Public Radio when the story emerged. And I mean, this is one of the icky parts of journalism, is that these catastrophic events in people's lives, um, the lives of powerful people and the people connected to them, are just part of your job. And for me, as a, a little little baby journalist, it was an exciting part of my job. I did a commentary for NPR making uh, light of the scandal, which was the first time I was ever on air. I got to go to Capitol Hill itself um, for live coverage of the impeachment trial, which the f- was the first time. There was wall-to-wall coverage of the official part of this story. I mean, like gross and icky (laughs) coverage. You know, we got the star report. I mean, and this was, if you were a journalist, it was part of your job to read this report. And it was just the most banal details of a typical dumb office romance. You know, it's like, a trashy romance novel without the romance. It's just the sex parts of a really badly written, low stakes. Um, I mean, I don't even want to condemn uh, romance novels, which <laughs> can actually be good. I think all the Bridgerton fans will appreciate you not calling this a romance. Yes. But what we didn't know very much about was Monica Lewinsky before she became this household name. And I think that that's what Ryan Murphy was trying to get at in this series. And I thought that it was really effective in that and sort of giving her an opportunity to to 
reclaim her public identity. In the series, there's this scene where Lewinsky and, and Bill Clinton had their first conversation, their first private conversation, and it is super cringy and gross. And just to kind of lay this out historically, Newt Gingrich, who was then um, the Speaker of the House, shut the government down in 1995, which turned out to be a dumb political maneuver, but it was the thing that brought Monica Lewinsky in touch with Bill Clinton because all of the real government workers had to stay out of the office and all of the interns rolled in to do these jobs to the best of their abilities. Beanie Feldstein plays Monica Lewinsky and Clive Owen is Bill Clinton. Where do you come from? Oh, L.A. Los Angeles, California. You're far from home, too. Where are you living? Out here, um, in the Watergate. Whoa, high on the hall. No, my my mom, she's actually moving to New York soon, so we're just staying, uh, living in a condo. Sorry, I'm so nervous. I have a huge crush on you. It's really flattering because you're beautiful. You light up the room. Yeah. So the picture you get of Monica Lewinsky in this scene and in this series is that she is this naive young woman who is out of her depth and thousands of miles from her home in California for the first time spending this kind of adult time on a job out in the adult world. And she thinks that this powerful, charismatic man is in love with her. And she thinks that she's in love with him. And I remember back in, you know, 1992, when Bill Clinton first started running or first emerged as a viable candidate, this guy had an amazing ability to, for lack of a better term, seduce people. He still does. It's one of the things that I can never stop thinking about with Bill Clinton is one time when I was covering Hillary Clinton's campaign, he did an event and just watching him interact with people you could tell that when he was talking to them, they felt like they were the only person in the room. It was incredible to watch. This guy, he was, is, sort of, he has this this political gift that people just, there's no teaching that. So it's like, it's not really a secret why a young woman who, like Monica Lewinsky, probably not very experienced with the world, in this sort of, it's kind of a supercharged space, sort of the the interior of the White House and, and these halls of power. And this guy looks at her and smiles, and no wonder, no wonder she fell for him. But when this story turned, when Matt Drudge and... Michael Isakoff and other journalists, you know, found out about Monica Lewinsky. He sold her out. And he and his surrogates, they picked on everything. You know, they brought up her parents' divorce. They brought up, you know, boyfriends that she had had in high school and college. 
they either directly said stuff about her being a stalker or unstable or dishonest or let surrogates say these things about her, even though all that time Bill Clinton knew that what she was saying about their relationship was the truth. It's like they didn't make her a villain. They made her a joke. And they did that to woman after woman after woman. They were doing it to Paula Jones, who had accused Clinton of making a pass at her back when he was governor of Arkansas. And they were following the same playbook with Monica Lewinsky. But, you know, I'm wondering, Shana, where did you where did you first meet <laughs> Monica Lewinsky yourself? So I'm 32 now. So I was about preteen, early teens when all of this was happening. And I think I came to understand what happened more based on the parody than on the actual event. Because at the time, I wasn't following the news. I was getting tidbits here and there from what, you know, sort of the adults were saying about it. Or I'd walk in while my parents were watching something, like some sort of joke show about it. And and I just kind of wasn't really registering it at the time. But I'm going to play a clip that I recently came across that made me cringe so hard that I was launched into the next county. It is from a November 1998 episode of Saturday Night Live, the Lewinsky trip phone chat cold opening. And it's just these two women on the phone eating while Trip, played by John Goodman, is recording the conversation. Look, I don't care about being beautiful, okay? What I care about is being thin. Thin. That's all I care about is a thin. Are you kidding me? That's all I care about. Look, if a beach is sex, then I've had a whole lot of sex, okay? <laughs> so, that's funny. What are you eating? Mm, just some, um, just some grapes and, um, some water. Stuff like, what are you, what are you eating? Oh, just a rice cake and some tab. <laughs> So it's funny because they're women who are eating. Get it? Ew. <laughs> and sketches like this were really my first exposure to Monica Lewinsky. And, and even years later, when I started to take an interest in politics and history, I saw her as the punchline and not a real person. And then so when I went to college and started to evolve my feminism, and that's when I started to see her as a person. And I'm not going to lie, I was confused. And I continue to be confused because when I look at this part of history, I find it so mind-boggling that we just erupted as a society over an affair. Even if one of the parties was the president, it's still, at the end of the day, these are just two people having sex or some form of sex. And we can get into the consensualness of the of the affair, given the sort of power dynamics going on. But I don't think it will ever cease to amaze and maybe even embarrass me that as a country, we dug through this woman's entire life and we publicly humiliated her in the most base and egregious of ways because she, what, had sex with a married man? Yeah, you know... I think that it was a little more complicated than that. That was always Clinton's line. Um, well, once he had to admit that they had an affair, uh, the Clinton's line was that this was just about sex and people were making a big deal out of this consensual affair. But, I mean, I think that in order to understand what was playing out and why so many people, including people who were feminists or feminists adjacent, felt like it was okay 
to treat Monica Lewinsky this way. I mean, you just have to look at some of the things that were playing out in feminism at the time. And this is second wave feminism. This is my generation's feminism. And we were still dealing with this fairy tale about women can have it all. We all know right now that that's bullshit. But at the time, people seriously believed that if you played your cards right and went to the right schools and took the right jobs, that you could have a thriving career and a thriving marriage and a thriving relationship with your child or however many children you wanted to have. It was all some kind of hocus pocus that was going to be achieved through like gym memberships and nanny shares and this thing called quality time where somehow 15 minutes with your kid if you were spending it doing something like magical (laughs) made up for the fact that you were away for 15 hours a a day doing work. And for women who bought into this, Hillary Clinton was like a patron saint. She was the, the young woman who spoke up for herself and for feminist ideals from the first time on college campuses and later in law school. And she still managed to marry a relatively hot guy in Bill Clinton. And this was at a time when, you know, women were regularly being counseled to play dumb or else no guy would want to date you. But she managed to do this. And then she had a thriving career. And then she had her daughter. And so that was incredibly attractive to to a lot of women, and I've got to include myself in this, who wanted to believe that that was possible. At the time, this this made her kind of a controversial figure to people who weren't necessarily feminist. But for feminists, it's like her ability to do all these things and achieve all these things, it just made a lot of us very excited. And her willingness to like own her choices, whether that was about her career or even her choice to stick with her cheating husband, it was kind of hot. You know, from a feminist perspective, it was it was like, yeah, this was she was aspirational. And so Monica Lewinsky became one in this long line of women who were framed as not just like trying to bring Bill Clinton down, but trying to bring Hillary down because ruining his career would kind of undermine all of the sacrifices and all of the hard work that Hillary had put in as well. And so it, it, it was complicated. And if you weren't mad at Monica Lewinsky for doing this, you know, there was another kind of thread in feminism that made it okay to laugh at her. I mean, it's so interesting that you bring up all of the Hillary Clinton-ness of it because we don't get any of that in the show. Uh, she's played by Edie Falco, and she's you see her once in the beginning in the bathroom, and Linda Tripp uh, runs into her, and it sort of is a device for Linda Tripp to go off about how much she hates the Clintons and to just sneer at Hillary Clinton for using that particular bathroom. And, I mean, it just sounds like there's just such a rich text here of that interplay between what was going on with Monica and what was going on with Hillary Clinton. And maybe we'll get more of that in the final episodes. We only got episodes one through seven as screeners. But like that, to me, is more of what I want to be seeing. I want to see, I I would like to see Hillary Clinton more than Linda Tripp. 
like I can't tell what they're trying to do with Linda Tripp other than I find her to be incredibly annoying and frustrating, which is probably true of her personality at that time. And and I don't know. I'm just I'm struggling with hearing just how interesting the Hillary Clintonness of this is, and wanting more of that in the show. How did you feel? I mean, given the the, the little bit that we had about Hillary Clinton, how do you feel like it's been treating treating that part of it? Well, I think that it's a waste of Edie Falco to have Edie Falco yes. playing Hillary yes, Clinton. Yes, absolutely. Like 28 seconds in these early episodes. But I, I've got to say, and this is where it gets really, comp- uh, again, it gets complicated for feminists, is that Hillary Clinton is not a woman without a platform, is not a woman who doesn't have access to power. She became a senator in no small part because of the way Americans admired the way she handled this whole mess between Lewinsky and her husband. She became Secretary of State. She ran for president twice. She is an elder stateswoman. She has a platform. And, you know, even though there have been restrictions and people taking pot shots at her all this time and treating her unfairly, it's like the power differential between Hillary Clinton and Monica Lewinsky has been tremendous. And it has never been that they were sort of equally helpless in their relationship um, with Bill Clinton or their relationship with this scandal. So it's like, I understand that choice, even though I'd love to see more of you. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't we all? So we're going to take a little break here, but when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of Clinton's accusers and how they were treated both by the show and the actual accusers were treated in the nineties, as well as Clinton's defenders as feminists. If you like The Waves, we would love it if you would like and subscribe to The Waves wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to hear more from me and Shana, check out our Waves Plus segment, Is This Feminist? Where today we're debating whether the ongoing Britney Spears saga and reconsideration is actually feminist. Hey, Waves listeners, we'd like your help. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing an episode on how to have a feminist wedding. We need your tips and suggestions. Please email us any ideas or questions that you would like us to answer at thewaves@slate.com. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm -hmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
You're listening to the waves. There's a lot of other women sort of in the orbit of this story. And I'm curious, as feminists, how have we treated Clinton's accusers? And how do you feel that the story, does it do them justice? Does it turn them into additional parodies? One of the things that I thought that the show was pretty good at capturing was how, you know, when you look at Linda Tripp and how she was really, I don't want to fall down the pit of, you know, pointing out what a a dreadful human being (laughs) he was, God rest his soul. But it's like this, this act, I can't speak for her for her whole life, but this act where you're tape recording your friend who's confiding in you about this terrible illicit affair and you turn the tapes over to somebody. I mean, that's, that's pretty awful. It's, but, it's not great. It's not, no, great. not it's a good not, look. <laughs> it's not a good look. It's not very feminist. But the other thing is Linda Tripp was territorial about her job and was proud of where she had gotten in her career and wasn't nice to everybody. And wouldn't hesitate to remind people about how qualified she was, about how many things she had done, about who she knew and who she had access to. And the way that women are treated who do this is you're a harpy, you're a bitch, you think too much of yourself. And literally, this is every guy in Washington (laughs) Right, right. And when the show started, like I wanted to to like her because I'm like, good for her. You know, she's got that aggressive personality that I know that you really need in Washington and that is celebrated with men. But I felt like the show just I mean, they lost me when they were like, we need to show her once again drinking a slim fast. I'm like, what are you trying to tell me about this woman. Like, I don't need all of these depictions of her, like, being sad in front of her TV eating a baked potato. It felt like they were really trying with this character to make me feel bad for her, but also hate her. And I just, I couldn't figure out what the message was with her, particularly given what she actually did in reality. But isn't that the point? If they make her likable, then they transform her into a victim, which is one of the only ways. I mean, and the Clinton scandal plays that out and demonstrates that on so many levels. The only way a woman can be sort of entitled to public regard and respect is to be some victim of someone and to handle it in a queenly fashion, uh, to handle it with supreme dignity. And the fact that Linda Tripp was frustrated in her career, that she was moved out of a job that meant something to her into a job that didn't mean anything to her. And that, you know, she was given a bump in salary, you know, with the expectation, perhaps, that it would shut her up and keep her quiet. I mean, that is a perfect villain origin story. It's like you feel wronged because you have been wronged. And I felt like the things that people tell themselves about why they're stabbing someone in the back, and I know that this isn't unique to Washington, but it certainly happens a lot (laughs) in the the political world and sort of the satellite worlds around it. The number of ways people tell themselves that it's okay to take advantage of this person's trust and to 
parlay this personal relationship into a professional uh, gain for yourself. It's like, it's infinite. And so Linda Tripp seems to be sort of a Washington creature in this story in a way that Monica Lewinsky just isn't. And so, of course, she's going to see this young woman who makes the mistake of confiding in her as sort of an instrument for her revenge. She tells herself that it's about protecting Monica. She tells herself it's about getting a pervert out of the White House. But it's really about exacting revenge on an administration that pushed her aside and pushed her off the path that she wanted for her career. And I didn't come out of this liking Linda Tripp, but I did come out of this with a better understanding of how she came to do the thing that she did. I love looking at it as a villain origin story. It is a way of looking at it that I was not expecting and therefore I didn't like go there in my head because we don't see that on TV often, if ever, where you get this sort of regular woman origin story of how she ended up coming to do a bad thing. So I think when you look at it that way, it is a fairly progressive depiction of this woman. And whether or not you like her or don't like her or like the the performance or don't is kind of beside the point. So I like that. I think that's interesting. What are your thoughts about the other women? Paula Jones, for example. I initially thought it was kind of parody. And then I watched a video of Paula Jones and I was like, oh, (laughs) they were not joking about that accent. Like that is actually pretty spot on. And I wrestle a lot with How should we think about these women that came forward in such a dynamic and over-the-top way? Well, unfortunately, we have a public record for how Paula Jones was treated and how the other women who came forward to say, in some cases, Bill Clinton had a consensual affair with them, in other cases that he harassed or assaulted them. We know how they were treated and how they were treated by serious people in the media and in politics, which was they were obstacles at best. That was the kindest thing that was said about them. And in this series, I felt like, you know, Paula Jones, the way that she was treated in the series kind of reflects um, what I remember about how she was treated in real life, which was, here's this woman who's not pretty enough to legitimately say that Bill Clinton would be after her, who's not smart enough or polished enough to sit in the same room as a Bill Clinton or be sort of an object of his attention. And she was just, she was dragged. I mean, she was called trailer trash and white trash. And you see that in the series. It's like, this was a formula that you take a woman, when a woman uh, steps forward, you just tear her background to pieces. We were deep into the scandal when I took a look and just read the transcript of her complaint. And it sounded perfectly plausible, the way she related it. It wasn't full of sort of Hollywood flourishes. It wasn't full of her trying to portray this as some kind of terrible outsized trauma. It was this guy you know, um, who I thought I was working uh, with, 
you know, invited me to a hotel room. I thought we were going to talk about something, you know, related to our work. He pulls his dick out. I'm like, what the F is this? And I get out of there. And it just struck me that if she were a different kind of woman, people would have taken that seriously. And if he had accused someone who, frankly, wasn't as much of a darling in certain areas of the media as Bill Clinton was at the time, she would have been taken seriously. And I appreciate how this series um, kind of shows that the way she was accused of being a pawn, of lying, of being, you know, for lack of a better term, a slut. And that is something that I think that our political societies and and our wider society is still dealing with, is that, you know, when women accuse important men of sexual harassment or misconduct, this is just, this is a playbook. I mean, this is what Andrew Cuomo, you know, what he was doing for years and years and years. You undermine their credibility. You say they weren't really good at their job. You say that they were always up underneath you. They, you say that they, you know, misunderstood some innocent gesture as a pass. You turn them into a joke and then, you know, the public starts laughing with you. And then the threat is over. So it's like, yeah, I, I thought that the, the show was really good at kind of depicting the way Paula Jones was treated. And, you know, it's nothing that any of us should be proud of. So let me ask this. Given what we've been going through and sorting out and talking about, do you think that this was a worthy addition to culture? We never need a new show. But I mean... Does this show work? And do we need to keep telling this story? Yes, I do think that this show worked. I do think that we need to keep telling this story because we keep making these same mistakes. We keep making women into footnotes or objects of pity or derision. And we keep centering the men who mistreat them as the heroes of the story. And so if this series makes people think again about that Monica Lewinsky joke that they laughed about, or, you know, seeing her as some kind of harpy or stalker or whatever, yes, it's worthwhile. And I hope people watch it with with that in mind. I agree. Honestly, I'm just glad that Monica Lewinsky was able to partake in something that was done about her and her story. And on that level, get a chance to sort of take back the narrative a little bit. You know, she's been doing a lot recently. She's really come into her own and, and, and does a lot of anti-bullying advocacy. And the ability for her to finally take the reins a little bit. I think was good. And I think that more than anything else for me makes this a worthy addition to our culture. So before we head out, we want to give some recommendations. Alicia, what are you loving right now? I am loving experiencing an autumn 
where I'm still afraid, but not deathly afraid of leaving my house, (laughs) (laughs) saying hello to people, where I'm not worried that we're about to, as a country, reelect, you know, a borderline white nationalist um, as president. You know how so many of us have been going through the pandemic in a blur? For me, it's like, I don't remember autumn. (laughs) (laughs) I have no memory of it being cold because I was in my house so much. And so I'm just enjoying being outside and looking at leaves fall and going to a grocery store. Yes, I'm wearing my mask, but I'm going to the grocery store myself and I'm lingering in the aisles and I'm not rushing to get out to decontaminate. And so I want to lean in, gosh, you know, you talk about a feminist cliche, lean in to just enjoying the pleasures of a more regular life that's not shaped by overlapping immediate threats to, you know, my health and and the future of my country. So, yeah, simple pleasures for me, you know, cooking, walking around outside, saying hi to people again. Yeah, that's what I'm enjoying. And that's what I would recommend. As someone who absolutely adores fall, my birthday is October 30th. Fall is my favorite. I have not yet gone around to decorating and I feel awful about it. So I plan to take your recommendation and really wholeheartedly jump into fall very soon. My recommendation is very specific. I recommend everybody subscribe to But News. It is author, writer, Lindy West's uh, new Substack. If you're familiar with her book called Shit Actually, this is a continuation of that. And Shit Actually is phenomenal. It is basically a collection of essays where in each essay she talks about a movie and really does sort of a recap of the movie. But she's so sarcastic. She's so witty. There were plenty of times where I was just convulsing while reading it. And now she has this newsletter where each week you get another one of those chapters, basically. She's done Sleepless in Seattle. She's done Stargate. She's done The Fast and the Furious. And it's phenomenal. It's hilarious. I highly recommend it. You can subscribe for free. You can also pay her for her hard work, which I also highly recommend. So, but news is my recommendation this week. Sounds great. That's our show this week. The Waves is produced by me, Shana Roth. Susan Matthews is our editorial director with June Thomas providing oversight and moral support. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast and bonus content of shows like this one. It's only $1 for the first month. And to learn more, you can go to slate.com slash thewavesplus. We'd also love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves at slate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topic, same time and place. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. 
So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.